Good morning, family. Grace and joy to you. Why don't you help me turn to somebody good looking on your row and tell them I'm glad you're sitting here. I'm glad you're sitting here. Yeah. Everybody should be looking at somebody right there. Amen. Bow with me for a word of prayer. Father, thank you so much for our beloved family. You've been so good to us. You brought us here another Sunday to worship with each other, to look on one another and just be reminded that we are made in your image. And in the image of God, you have made us. Thank you for this precious moment. Now it's preaching time. Would you open our eyes, open our ears and breathe on this flock now? We need a word from you, Lord, and it can only come from you. Be with our beloved brother and teacher. Keep him at the foot of the cross, for we would see you, Jesus, and you only is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen. The word of the Lord from the gospel according to Luke chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 31. I want to welcome all of you here, especially our online family. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for all of my brothers, the elders, and all of the, the saints that make up the the RCC Gospel Train. So good to be here with you. For our visitors who are here, um, thank you. You could have been in one of several hundred churches in this area, but you are with us, and we don't take your presence lightly today. If you're looking for a great church, you found it. Don't look anymore. Amen. <laughs> you're in the right place. You're in the right place. We are walking exegetically through the gospel according to Luke, and so we invite you to open your Bibles or boot up your phones or just look on the screen and study with us today. The title of our message for this Sunday is called, When Jesus Came to Church. When Jesus Came to Church. Hear the word of the Lord. Then he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word was with authority. Now, in the synagogue, there was a man who had a spirit of an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, saying, let us alone. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? For I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him. Be quiet and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him to their, in their midst, it came out of him. And it did not hurt him. Then they were all amazed and spoke among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And the report about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Beloved, in today's lesson, you and I get the privilege to see what I call as a divine picture of what happened when Jesus came to church in Capernaum. The Bible is clear that when the master entered the synagogue, that was the place of gathering on the day of rest, the Sabbath, he had a ministry for the people. On last week, some of you will remember, we saw him receive serious backlash in his own hometown, Nazareth, when he went to preach and teach in their synagogues. And according to the passage, Jesus' earthly ministry started in his own town, but it started with persecutions and problems. It was a reminder to us that just because God has called you to live for him, serve for him, minister to others for him, brothers and sisters, it doesn't mean that there won't be trouble in your life. Can I get a witness right there? In fact, you could say that if ministry trouble happened to Jesus, the son of God, then you know it's going to happen to you and I. The amazing consistency in both of these events in the life of Jesus is, guess what? They both happened in church. You say, what do you mean, Wilson? In other words, when ministry troubles happen, it doesn't necessarily happen outside in the world. Trouble often comes inside of the church. Now, I need to serve you some good notice right here. It would be nice if you had a church that had no trouble in it. But can I tell you, there's not one church on the earth, Sister Stella, that's without trouble. Trouble comes to every congregation. It's the body of Christ. It's the arch enemy of the evil one. So tell your neighbor, it's going to be all right. Now, when I look at this, it's amazing because you would think that here is the son of God come down to the church, the ecclesia, the called out ones, the synagogue of the Jews. There should have been collaboration in the church. There should have been community in the church. But what he gets back home in Nazareth and now in another church, a city called Capernaum, he gets chaos and it's happening in the church, the body where people come to worship him. This is fascinating to me. And again, if it happened to Jesus, the probability of it happening to you and I are, it's pretty high. So we should first of all lock in our minds as saints of the living God, just because we are the called out community of Christ does not mean our small flock is uh, exempt from having trouble run through here every now and then. Now, that's no reason to quit, but it is a reason to sit up, to be prayerful, and to be mindful who we are and whose we are. According to this passage today, Jesus, again, is in the synagogue, and there he is teaching us several things. So I've got a couple points for you today, and then I'll get on down the road. Today, let's learn about Jesus' teaching ministry. Two, his teaching ministry in the church. Two, let's learn about Jesus' trouble 
in the church. And then I'll land the plane talking about Jesus' triumph in the church. His teaching ministry in the church, his trouble in the church, and then his triumph in the church. You're going to help me preach today? Somebody say amen. Brother Wayne, good to see you. When we come to verse 31, the Bible says that then he went down to Capernaum. Pay attention to that because that then is there for a reason. He just left trouble in Nazareth. They ran him out of town. So he leaves from a troubling situation and then he goes down to Capernaum. It's a city, the Bible says, of Galilee. And he was teaching on the Sabbaths. And there were, and they were rather, the Capernaums, astonished at his teaching. For his word was with authority. Now this is interesting because the people that he had come from, Nazareth, were not impressed with Jesus. In fact, their question is from last week, isn't this Joseph's son? They were not amazed with the word. They, they were not impressed with the word. But when he gets to another city, there's somebody who's impressed. I just dropped something right there. I'll come back and pick it up later, all right? But when you come to this portion of the text, we discover that Jesus leaves his little city in Nazareth. He travels on foot to another city in the region called Capernaum. This was a sister city. It, it was small in geography, kind of a neighboring town, a small agricultural village, familiar for its fishing industry. It was situated in the lower valley or in a lower elevation of Nazareth. And that's why the text says he went down to Capernaum. Second thing I noticed about this location is that in this location, there are also some people who gather together to worship in the Jewish form of worship, which was called the synagogue. Now, this teaches me several things. Number one, Jesus had a love for worship. And it teaches me that Jesus made it a practice from city to city, wherever he went, to gather with the people of God in the house of God on the day that God has set apart for worship. And here's where I'm going with that. If worship was important to Jesus, then we need to make it a priority in our life. I believe an amen goes right there. Not only is he in the place of worship, not only does he desire to gather with the people in worship, but according to this text, he had a ministry in the synagogue. That means he came as a worshiper, but he also came as a worker. Now, I know I'm just passing through and I'm hanging out with RCC for the next 30 years. But listen, let me say this. If God thought it enough to be a worshiper and a worker, you too ought to think about what can I do in the life of my congregation? What's my job in the ministry at RCC? I need a ministry inside of the local church. If it was important to Jesus, hey, somebody help me right around through there. It ought to be important to you. 
Here's what I learned also about this text. His ministry in the local church, the Bible says, came in authority. Exousia is the Greek word. And, and it means it means a wisdom and a knowledge that's not normal. This was divine teaching in the synagogue. When he taught, it came with authority. Let me say it like this. It was not like the previous teachers that had come through there. I explained on last week that the Jews, when they had the synagogue form of worship, what they would do is they didn't have a pastoral or an elder leadership form that we have in our culture today. They had synagogue rulers but they didn't necessarily preach or teach. They just invited guest rabbis to come every week and to teach. And whichever rabbi came through, the synagogue ruler would pick the scroll, open the scroll, and give it to the rabbi to teach from. On this day, when Jesus gets to Capernaum, he is teaching in such a manner that it comes with a whole nother authority. He's unlike any other rabbi. Can I, can I park the car right there and idle for a minute? Listen, nobody preaches like Jesus. Not Mahatma Gandhi, not Martin Luther King, not no great historian or philosopher. Nobody can open the text like Jesus. And when he taught in that sanctuary on that day, the crowd was blown away. They said, what is this? They never heard it like that before. The text uses a word that I like. It says they were astonished. They were blown away. Now why? Because previous teachers of the law didn't come and preach and teach like Jesus. They didn't make it plain. Like this. They came with lots of new laws and heavy burdens for the people to carry. That was the Pharisees and the Sadducees mode of operation. But nobody taught like Jesus. And here's what I learned, my beloved brothers and sisters. People today are the same as those people yesterday. People come to church, they still want to be astonished at the word of God. They want to walk away from here saying, ooh we! I heard Christ speak to me today and my life is going to be changed. Can I get a witness right there? They want to know that the word that Christ taught in the synagogue back then is the same word that's being taught in the sanctuary today. I'm hunting for a witness right there. That's powerful powerful stop by and tell us today I believe it's imperative that you hear from heaven on Sunday morning I believe it's imperative that you have a word for your life as you go into Monday morning some Mondays are horrible some people will leave here today and go into a work environment that's toxic some will go home to an abusive family situation right after they leave here. They need a word that's going to carry them through the trouble, through the tribulation, and the tragedies that are awaiting them outside of these doors. So I believe that a word from Jesus is imperative. 
He had a teaching ministry in Capernaum. Well, we've looked at the teaching ministry of Jesus. Let's look now at the trouble Jesus encountered in Capernaum. The Bible says, Brother Norm, in verse 33 and 34, now in the synagogue there was a man, a man who had an unclean spirit or an unclean demon. And he cried out with a loud voice, let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. Wow. When you come to this portion of the text, beloved, you get to see that during the course of the master's teaching ministry and his message in the synagogue, a disturbance happened. A man who was held captive against his will by the underworld. He came inside and he disrupted the teaching ministry. This man couldn't help himself because he was forced by the underworld to obey its commands. This man had a demon inside of him and the demon had dominated his behavior. This wasn't mental health problems. This was satanic problems. The text is clear on that. And what this man needed, he needed relief from the underworld. Here it is. He needed a savior. Because this demon had him under his control. And I like to say this, Sister Star, this demon deliberately dragged this man to the synagogue that day to display his wicked power over him. This was what I call a clash of the kingdoms in the synagogue. You say, now, Pastor, where do you get that from? Well, you got to jog back with me a few verses in chapter 4. We recognize Jesus had got tempted by the evil one and was victorious in the temptation for 40 days, came out of that, preached in the cities, went hometown to, to, to Nazareth. They tried to kill him in Nazareth. And now he comes down to Capernaum. As he's traveling in his first year of ministry, the underworld is also following his work. And when we get to Capernaum, we see in the synagogue now this demonic disruption. This demon took this man to church to contest all that Jesus had to say and all that Jesus was going to do. And I need you to know something, family. That demon wasn't in the synagogue by chance. Evil spirits frequent the worship place. Evil spirits constantly come against the gathering of the people of God. Why? It's where the kingdom of God is. There's supposed to be some demonic activity coming against you when you represent the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Satan just doesn't let us worship God without problems because you worship him. Many times that's why he shows up. 
Ah, I feel like preaching today. Can I let my hair down? Well, whatever I got left. Come on, help me. In other words, this demon, yes, Elder Rowe, he had an assignment. And his assignment was to try to discredit the work of Christ in the eyes of those who were looking for the kingdom of God to come. He did his best to disrupt the teaching and the service. See, according to the passage, Jesus was teaching when the evil spirit cried out right in the middle of his sermon. He yells out, I know who you are. Leave us alone. Great preacher, teacher, friend of mine says that's written in the emphatic tense and in the imperative mood. So what he really did, the demon did, he did this. Are y'all ready? Are y'all ready? He said, leave us alone. Leave us, 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 leave us alone. Leave us alone. I know who you are. That was the disruption that he presented in the synagogue on that day to try to quiet the master's message from being presented. And here's what I learned today, beloved. In the service today, do you know Satan continues to take the minds of some people hostage? Do you know he still desires to possess the minds, the hearts, and the souls of God's worshipers? Why? His possession is a wicked one. He is an unclean spirit. And everything in the world that is unclean and evil has his signature upon it. In fact, so, so much so that we have many names for the unclean spirit. We call him the filthy one, the lustful one, the prideful one, the lewd one, the jealous one, the one who opposes the word of God. His job, here it is, write this down, note takers, is to distract the saints. Number two, his job is to destroy their witness. Stay with me. Stay with me. Number three, his job is to discourage their faith. And number four, dismantle their hopes and dash their dreams. That's what he's actively trying to do to the gathering of the people of God. He's got a job to do. And he wants to discourage us, RCC. He wants to distract us. He wants to destroy our witness. He wants to dismantle our hopes and dash our dreams about the kingdom. But we can't let him get victory. I'm hunting for a witness right there. Secondly, the Bible says again that, that this, this devil cried out. I mentioned what he said to you. Have you come? Listen to what he says. Let me slow down right here. I'm going to need to borrow a few minutes from next week's sermon. Can y'all give it to me? I'll pay you back next week. <laughs> Hallelujah. Listen to what he says. Let us alone. What have we, stay with me, to do with you? Jesus of Nazareth, did you come to destroy us? Listen to his words. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. That verse is loaded. I need you to allow me to unpack it. 
here we discover the dastardly deed of deception from the demon. First of all, he tries to appear like a victim in the synagogue as if Jesus is picking on him. He wants to make Jesus look like a bully picking on this helpless man when in reality it was him who was causing the evil assault on Jesus. He calls Jesus, listen to this, I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. He did this by announcing Jesus' previous hometown with a design to possess the minds of the people in Capernaum to have low thoughts about Jesus. Why did you say that, Wilson? Nazareth was accused in those days as being a bad place, a horrible place. You've heard the term, can anything good come out of Nazareth? So they just finished saying they were astonished at his ministry, his teaching, and now the demon says, I know who you are, Jesus of Nazareth. In other words, he knew that then he could get the people to think different about Jesus because of where he just came from, they would not accept his word. Are you listening? He did it with prejudice against Jesus because he was a demonic deceiver. He did it because everybody knew that the Messiah had to be born in Bethlehem. So if he announced that he was from Nazareth, they would say, well, you can't be the Messiah. Satan was subtle. This demon was subtle with this line. He knew that Christ was born in Bethlehem, raised in Nazareth, which was a fulfillment of scripture. But he would try to distract others. From hearing, stay with me please, and learning. Here's the application. Just like today, right now, RCC, Satan wants somebody in here under the sound of my voice to reject the word of the Lord. He wants you to disregard the message. Why? Because he hates the word of the Lord. Oh, my brothers and my sisters, don't allow the wicked one access to your hearts and to your minds. Reject his promptings. Reject his promises. Reject his pleasures and reject his pleas. Why? He still comes to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Thank you, brother. Thirdly, look at the text. The text says he asked Jesus a question. Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. What a profound demonic question. The evil one, he knows right here, Sister Sharon, love of my life, he knows the future estate of what's to come to him. So he asks, is it time? Now for our destruction. Whoa, that's good. The devil knows he's got it coming. 
He's not lying when he asks this question. He recognizes his time is short and that defeat and punishment is imminent. He sees that his kingdom is no match for the kingdom of God. So he says, I know who you are. You're the holy one of God. Here's what the demonic is saying. You're the one true Messiah whom the Lord has sent to earth. You're the holy one. You're the conquering king. The prophets preached about. You're the holy one. You're the prince of glory. We've been waiting to come to defeat us, to bring us eternal damnation. You are the holy one. Here it is, beloved. Though the demon knew who Jesus was and that he had no power against him, he would yet. No, Siri, I'm not talking to you. She keeps interrupting us. <laughs> Though the demon knew who Jesus was and that he had no power against him, guess what? He would yet oppose him in spite of his own ensuing demise. What do you mean, Pastor? The wicked spirit that spoke in that church that day, that demon, he should have bowed down and praised Christ as he did once before, before they were kicked out of heaven. But now Lucifer is his master. So though he knows his defeat is coming, he still will not stop and bow and worship Christ. Even in his begging, it now would do him no good. For he knew that the time was coming when he would be doomed. Here's the application. There are people today influenced by the underworld. They come to church. They know what we do and why we do. They know they ought to give their lives to Christ and have an intimate personal relationship with him. But just like this demonic being, they will still refuse after knowing who Christ is. They will reject the opportunity to repent, to turn, and to come unto Christ. What a tragedy. What a tragedy. What a tragedy to know his name, to know his people, to know his purpose, and to know his plan but still reject him and give, not give your life to him. This text was eye-opening to me again in so many ways. This unclean spirit was on a mission, and he was on a mission to destroy Jesus and impede the work of God in that local church. I found a true story I thought I would share to you, share with you in this text today. The story of a Christian leader, for the sake of our conversation, let's call him Steve. Steve was traveling by plane, a pastor, to a preaching engagement. And on the plane, he noticed about two seats over, there was a gentleman there who had these cards in his hand, a distinguished-looking man, goatee. He thought perhaps, well, this man is a professor of some sort. The man was spreading out his cards, and he was mumbling to himself. Steve says, I see you are counting cards or taking inventory. The man said, no. 
I'm praying. And Pastor Steve said, oh, I'm a praying man too. The man says, no, I'm on a specific assignment. And Steve, Pastor Steve, asked him, what's your assignment? He says, I'm praying for the demise of pastors. Steve stopped and he said, well, um, am I on your list? The man said to him, no, not this list. Why did I bring that story to you? Beloved, I've been preaching a long time, longer perhaps than some of you have been living. And I can testify today that pastors are number one on the hit list for satanic activity. Don't think it's strange that one of our pastors has come under attack. Pastors all over the city, all over the country, all over the world are being sought after to destroy, be destroyed by the evil one. Congregation, we need to pray for those that God has given some oversight in your lives to feed you the word of God. Satan wants to do everything possible to stop RCC from growing by the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And what better way to do that than to attack your pastors? We've looked at the teaching ministry of Jesus in the church. We've looked at the trouble that came to Jesus in the church. But I can't leave you like that. Let's look now at the triumph of Jesus in the church. And let me hear somebody say amen. Verse 35, the Bible says, the devil did all that. He screamed all that out. Elder Ken, and then the Bible says, but. (laughs) I like that right there. That's a conjunction. That means there's a change in the conversation. Something is getting ready to shift. The devil was talking, but. Hey, good God Almighty. Jesus, here it is, rebuked him, saying, be quiet. Or one translation, the old King James says, be muzzled. (laughs) I like that. And come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him in the midst, it came out of him and did not hurt him. Beloved, thank you for listening today. I'm on my way down now. But when we come to this final portion of the text, we get to see how Jesus commands the underworld with authority. Can I say some more right there? He talked with authority, and now he commands with authority. In other words, this ain't an option. You will do this, demonic being. He defeated him with authority. The text is simply imposing for you and I that Jesus imposed silence upon him. You will not disrupt the teaching ministry of the divine one in this church. Be muzzled. I like that. Christ has a muzzle for the unclean spirit who tries to defy his work in the local church. This was Jesus, the triumphant one, who was defeating the work of an unclean spirit. But this is not all the text is teaching us. Not only did he command him to be quiet, Guess what else the text says? Uh, uh, Mother me, the text says he commanded him, come out of him. Whoa, that's good news right there. 
according to the passage, the unclean spirit had to shut up, one, and number two, then he had to come out. Jesus would not just leave him possessed with that unclean spirit, but now he has to leave his child alone. RCC, did you hear me real good right there? Because the demon was expelled out of the man, guess what else happens in the text? The Bible says, that the demon tried to inflict him, shook him violently, threw him to the ground in the midst of him. Now, what does that mean? Here's what it means. Satan hates to let those people go whose lives he has devastated. When the gospel is proclaimed and the authority of Christ is implemented and he's forced to come out of their lives, the evil one always tries to tear the life apart at the command to come out. What do you mean? You've seen people, life after prison, withdrawals from drugs, broken hearts, physical pains, where Satan tries to literally destroy their lives on the way out. He's that kind of evil and unclean spirit. He's come to destroy life. But Christ has come to give life. I like this because it's good news for me that this this demon was defeated. And watch this. Everybody in the synagogue saw it. Nobody would leave there from that day knowing or not being clear what the authority and the power of God was like in the life of Jesus. Jesus had demonstrated his authority over the wicked one. I'm coming down now. The Bible says in verse 36, and they were all amazed. Ah, Isn't that beautiful? First in, in verse 31, they were astonished. But now they're amazed. And they said this, what word is this? For with authority, here it is, and power. This is interesting because there's two different definitions of this word. The word authority in the Greek language is exousia, right? It, it's the word that knowledge he speaks and something happens. And the word power in the Greek is the word dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite from. Not only does he have the authority, but he's got the ability. Oh, God, help me preach it all. Jesus has the power and the ability. To fix trouble in the church. I'm looking for a witness right there. Listen, listen, listen. Trust Jesus with whatever crisis you are in. He's got the authority and he's got the power. Sorry, I just got a little black Baptist right there, but come on, help me preach. He's got the authority and the ability. All is not lost, beloved. Come on, shake it off. All is not lost. He's got the word. And he's got the will to do it. I like this text. Gets even better. Elder Cho, the Bible says, after they asked that, what word is this? The Bible says, and the report about him. It went out into every place in the surrounding region. I can expound on and on there. But this little church in Capernaum became witnesses to the other towns and cities in Galilee where Jesus was about to go. See, all trouble that comes into life 
of the congregation feels bad for a season, but God wants to use it. He wants to use it so that when he fixes it, you become witnesses to the other little churches that are all going to encounter some kind of trouble in your region. Well, thank you for listening. Thank you for letting me borrow a few minutes from next week. But the master's ministry would take off now, and he would be known as the Messiah, who is the triumphant one. The report about him was true. He had come to earth to set the captives free. He had come to earth to give freedom to those who were in bondage. He had come to earth to give eternal life to those who were facing eternal separation from God. Jesus had came to advance the kingdom of God on the earth. And the kingdom of God had come with power and authority. The kingdom of God had come and had overpowered the underworld. The kingdom of God had come to save men from the darkness of evil. The kingdom of God had come and his ministry was filled with proclamation and evangelism. The ministry was filled with divine triumph. And the ultimate triumph over the evil one was still to come. Oh yeah, one Friday night on a hill called Calvary. We would see Jesus, the triumphant one, the Christus Victor, stretch high, drop low, take the sting out of death and victory over the grave, defeat Satan and all of the underworld with one final blow. An early Sunday morning, God the Father raised him back to life with all power of heaven and earth in his hand. That's why I preach like a madman. That's why I preach like there ain't no more good news. This is the greatest news humanity could ever have. That Christos Victor is the triumphant one. You can trust that, beloved. He's the true king of glory. The Bible calls him the king of the Jews, the king of Israel, the king of righteousness, the king of ages, the king of heaven, the king of glory, the king of kings, and the Lord of lords. That's my king. And triumphant is his ministry. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. That's my king. He's God's son. He saves sinners. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He stands alone in himself. He's august. He's unique. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He's supreme. He's preeminent. He's the king of kings and he's worthy of the praise. Listen, you can trust him. You can trust him. You can trust him. And all God's people said, amen. And amen. Let's give God some praise. Pray with me, family. Father God, thank you for the reminder in your word of what happened when you came to church. Thank you for reminding us of your teaching ministry of the word of God in the house of God. 
Thank you for also reminding us of the supernatural reality that trouble will come to the house of God. But there is triumph when Jesus is in the house. Thank you so much. Thank you for smiling on our little church. Thank you for blessing us, encouraging us, and reminding us of where our hope lies and who it lies in. Now I pray today, if there's one here who does not know you in the pardon of their sin, that they would repent today, they would turn to you and give their lives to you. I pray for those who have been impacted by the evil one, who have been hurt and wounded and scarred and left to feel like all is lost. My prayer today is that we will remember you are the triumphant one and you never lose and you've never lost. Thank you so much for the victory that is here, that is on the way, and that is yet to come. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Thank God. Amen.